Part One of Chapter Ten of Deerbrook. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rosie. Deerbrook by Harriet Martineau. Chapter Ten, Part One. To see the whole of the present company, from the oldest to the youngest. This was the best part of his speech to the ears of the children. It made an impression also upon some others. Two or three days afterwards, Sidney burst, laughing, into the dining-room, where his mother and her guests were at work, to tell them that he had seen Mr. Hope riding a pony in the oddest way, in the lane behind his lodgings. He had a side-saddle, and a horse-cloth put up like a lady's riding-habit. He rode the pony in and out among the trees, and made it scramble up the hill behind, and it went as nicely as could be, wherever he wanted it to go. Mr. Hope's new way of riding was easily explained, the next time he called. Miss Young was certainly included in the invitation to Dingleford Woods. It was a pity she should not go, and she could not walk in wild places. The pony was training for her. Mrs. Gray quite agreed that Miss Young ought to go, but thought that Mr. Hope was giving himself much needless trouble. There would be room made for her in some carriage, of course, no doubt, but no kind of carriage could make its way in the woods, and, but for this pony, Miss Young would have to sit in a carriage or under a tree the whole time that the rest of the party were rambling about. Whereas this quiet, active little pony would take care that she was nowhere left behind. It could do everything but climb trees. It was to be taken over to Dingleford the evening before, and would be waiting for its rider on the verge of the woods when the party should arrive. Miss Young was touched, and extremely pleased with Mr. Hope's attention. In the days of her prosperity she had been accustomed to ride much, and was very fond of it. But since her misfortunes she had never once been in the saddle, lame as she was, and debarred from other exercise. To be on a horse again, and among the woods, was a delicious prospect, and when a few misgivings had been reasoned away, misgivings about being troublesome, about being in the way of somebody's pleasure or convenience, Maria resigned herself to the full expectation of a most delightful day, if the weather would only be fine. The children would be there, and they were always willing to do anything for her. Sidney would guide her pony in case of need, or show her where she might stay behind by herself, if the others should exhibit a passion for impracticable places. She knew that Margaret would enjoy the day all the more for her being there, and so would Mr. Hope, as he had amply proved. Maria was really delighted to be going, and she and the children rejoiced together. This great pleasure involved some minor enjoyments, too, in the way of preparation. On Sunday Mr. Hope told her that he believed the pony was now fully trained, but he should like that she should try it, especially as she had been long out of the habit of riding. She must take a ride with him on Monday and Tuesday afternoons for practice. The Monday's ride was charming, through Verdon Woods and home over the heath from Crossley End. The circuit, which was to have been three miles, had extended to ten. She must be moderate, she said to herself, the next day, and not let Mr. Hope spend so much of his time upon her, and besides, the pony had to be sent over to Dingleford in the evening, after she had done with it, to be in readiness for her on Wednesday morning. The ride on Tuesday was happily accomplished, as that of Monday, but it was much shorter. Mr. Hope agreed that it should be short, as he had a patient to visit on the Dingleford road, 
so near the hamlet that he might as well take the pony there himself. It would trot along beside his horse. Sidney saved him part of the charge. Sidney would at all times walk back any distance for the sake of a ride out on whatever kind of saddle or almost any kind of quadruped. He was in waiting at the farrier's gate when Miss Young returned from her ride, and having assisted her into the house, he threw himself upon her pony and rode three miles and a half on the Dingleford Road before he would dismount and deliver his bridle into Mr. Hope's hand. Tea was over, and the tea-things removed, before he appeared at home, heated and delighted with his expedition. He ran to the dairy for a basin of milk, and declared that his being hot and tired did not matter in the least, as he had no lessons to do, the next day being a holiday. It was about two hours after this, when Hester and Margaret were singing to Sophia's playing, that Mr. Gray put his head in at the door, and beckoned Mrs. Gray out of the room. She remained absent a considerable time, and when she returned, the singers were in the middle of another duet. She wandered restlessly about the room till the piece was finished, and then made a sign to Sophia to follow her into the storeroom, the double door of which the sisters could hear carefully closed. They were too much accustomed to the appearance of mystery among the ladies of the Gray family, to be surprised at any number of secret conferences which might take place in the course of the day. But evening was not the usual time for these. The family practice was to transact all private consultations in the morning, and to assemble round the work-table or piano after tea. The sisters made no remark to each other on the present occasion, but continued their singing, each supposing that the storeroom conference related to some preparation for the next day's excursion. It was too dark to distinguish anything in the room before their hostess re-entered it. Margaret was playing quadrilles. Hester was standing at the window, watching the shadows which the risen moon was flinging across the field, and the lighting up of Mrs. Enderby's parlour behind the blinds. And Sidney was teasing his twin sisters with rough play on the sofa, when Mrs. Gray returned. "'You are all in the dark,' said she, in a particularly grave tone. "'Why, did you not ring for lights, my dears?' And she rang immediately. "'Be quiet, children. I will not have you make so much noise.' The little girls seemed to wish to obey— but their brother still forced them to giggle, and their struggling entreaties were heard, "'Now don't, Sidney! Now pray, Sidney, don't!' "'Mary and Fanny, go to bed,' said their mother, decidedly, when lights were brought. "'Sidney, bid your cousins good-night, and then come with me. I want to ask you a question.' "'Good-night already, mother! Why, it is not time yet this half-hour!' "'It is enough that I choose you to go to bed. Wish your cousins good-night, and come with me.' Mrs. Gray led the way once more into the storeroom, followed, rather sulkily, by Sidney. "'What can all this be about?' whispered Hester to Margaret. "'There is always something going on which we are not to know.' "'Some affair of fruit or wine or bonbons, perhaps, which are all the better for making their appearance unexpectedly.' At this moment Sophia and her mother entered by opposite doors. Sophia's eyes were red, and there was every promise in her face that the slightest word spoken to her would again open the sluices of her tears. Mrs. Gray's countenance was to the last degree dismal, but she talked, talked industriously, of everything she could think of. This was the broadest possible hint to the sisters not to inquire what was the matter, and they therefore went on sewing and conversing very diligently till they thought they might relieve Mrs. Gray by offering to retire. 
they hesitated only because mr gray had not come in and he so regularly appeared at ten o'clock that they had never yet retired without having enjoyed half an hour's chat with him sophia my dear said her mother are the night candles there light your cousin's candles i am sure they are wishing to go and it is getting late you will not see mr gray to-night my dears he has been sent for to a distance at this moment the scrambling of a horse's feet was heard on the gravel before the front door sophia looked at her mother and each lighted a candle precipitately and thrust it into a hand of each cousin there go my dears said mrs gray never mind stopping for mr gray i will deliver your good night to him you will have to be rather early in the morning you know good night good night thus hester and margaret were hurried upstairs while the front door was in the act of being unbarred for mr gray's entrance morris was dispatched after them with equal speed by mrs gray's orders and she reached their chamber door at the same moment that they did hester set down her candle bade morris shut the door and threw herself into an armchair with wonderful decision of manner declaring that she had never been so treated to be amused and sent to bed like a baby in a house where she was a guest i am afraid something is the matter said margaret what then they might have told us so and said plainly that they had rather be alone people must choose their own ways of managing their own affairs you know and what those ways are cannot matter to us as long as we are not offended at them do you take your own way of viewing their behaviour then and leave me mine said hester hastily morris feared there was something amiss and she believed alice knew what it was but she had not told either cook or housemaid a syllable about it by morris's account alice had been playing the mysterious in the kitchen as her mistress had in the parlour mr gray had been suddenly sent for and had saddled his horse himself as his people were all gone and there was no one on the premises to do it for him a wine-glass had also been called for for miss sophia whose weeping had been overheard master sydney had gone to his room very cross complaining of his mother's having questioned him over much about his ride and then sent him to bed half an hour before his usual time a deadly fear seized upon margaret's heart when she heard of sydney's complaint of being overmuch questioned about his ride a deadly fear for hester if her suspicion should prove true it was out of pure consideration that they had been amused and sent to bed like babies a glance at hester showed that the same apprehension had crossed her mind her eyes were closed for a moment and her face was white as ashes it was not for long however she presently said with decision that whatever was the matter it must be some entirely private affair of the greys if any accident had happened to any one in the village if bad news had arrived of any common friend there would be no occasion for secrecy in such a case mrs gray would have given herself the comfort of speaking of it to her guests it must certainly be some entirely private some family affair hester was sincere in what she said she knew so little of the state of her own heart that she could not conceive how some things in it could be divined or speculated upon by others still only on the brink of the discovery that she loved mr hope she could never have imagined that any one else could dream of such a thing much less act upon it she was angry with herself for letting her fears now point for a moment to mr hope for if this bad news had related to him her sister and she would of course have heard of it the next moment after the greys 
Margaret caught her sister's meaning, and strove to the utmost to think as she did, but Sidney's complaint of being overmuch questioned about his ride was fatal to the attempt. It returned upon her incessantly during the night, and when, towards morning, she slept a little, these words seemed to be sounding in her ear all the while. Before undressing, both she and Hester had been unable to resist stepping out upon the stairs to watch for signs, whether it was the intention of the family to sit up or go to rest. All had retired to their rooms some time before midnight, and then it was certain that nothing more could be learned before morning. Each sister believed that the other slept, but neither could be sure. It was an utterly wretched night to both, and the first which they had ever passed in misery without speaking to each other. Margaret's suffering was all from apprehension. Hester was little alarmed in comparison, but she this night underwent the discovery which her sister had made some little time ago. She discovered that nothing could happen to her so dreadful as any evil befalling Mr. Hope. She discovered that he was more to her than the sister whom she could have declared, but a few hours before, to be the dearest on earth to her. She discovered that she was forever humbled in her own eyes, that her self-respect had received an incurable wound, for Mr. Hope had never given her reason to regard him as more than a friend. During the weary hours of this night she revolved every conversation, every act of intercourse, which she could recall, and from all that she could remember the same impression resulted, that Mr. Hope was a friend, a kind and sympathizing friend, interested in her views and opinions, in her tastes and feelings, that he was this kind friend, and nothing more. He had in no case distinguished her from her sister. She had even thought, at times, that Margaret had been the more important of the two to him. That might be from her own jealous temper, which, she knew, was apt to make her fancy every one preferred to herself, but she had thought that he liked Margaret best, as she was sure Mr. Enderby did. Whichever way she looked at the case, it was all wretchedness. She had lost her self-sufficiency and self-respect, and she was miserable. The first rays of morning have a wonderful power of putting to flight the terrors of the darkness, whether their causes lie without us or within. When the first beam of the midsummer sunshine darted into the chamber, through the leafy limes which shaded one side of the apartment, Hester's mood transiently changed. There was a brief reaction in her spirits. She thought she had been making herself miserable far too readily. The mystery of the preceding evening might turn out a trifle. She had been thinking too seriously about her own fancies. If she had really been discovering a great and sad secret about herself, no one else knew it, nor need ever know it. She could command herself, and, in the strength of pride and duty, she would do so. All was not lost. Before this mood had passed away, she fell asleep, with prayer in her heart and quiet tears upon her cheek. Both sisters were roused from their brief slumbers by a loud tapping at their door. All in readiness to be alarmed, Margaret sprang up, and was at the door to know who was there. "'It is us!' "'It is we, Fanny and Mary, cousin Margaret,' answered the twins. "'Come to call you. It is such a fine morning, you can't think. "'Papa does not believe we shall have a drop of rain to-day. "'The baker's boy has just carried the rolls, such a basketful, to Mrs. Rowland's, so you must get up. "'Mamma is getting up already.' "'The sisters were vexed to have been thrown into a terror for nothing, "'but it was a great relief to find Mr. Gray prophesying fine weather for the excursion.' 
nothing could have happened to cast a doubt over it margaret too now began to think that the mystery might turn out a trifle and she threw up the sash to let in the fresh air with a gaiety of spirits she had little expected to feel another tap at the door it was morris with the news that it was a fine morning that the whole house was astir and that she had no further news to tell another tap before they were half dressed it was mrs gray with a face quite as sorrowful as on the preceding evening and the peculiar nervous expression about the mouth which served her instead of tears have you done with morris yet my dears morris you may go said hester steadily mrs gray gazed at her with a mournful inquisitiveness while she spoke and kept her eyes fixed on hester throughout though what she said seemed addressed to both sisters there is something the matter mrs gray continued hester calmly say what it is you had better have told us last night i thought it best not to break your sleep my dears we always think bad news is best told in the morning tell us said margaret hester quietly seated herself on the bed it concerns our valued friend mr hope said mrs gray hester's colour had been going from the moment mrs gray entered the room it was now quite gone but she preserved her calmness he was safe when sydney lost sight of him on the ridge of the hill on the dingleford road but he afterwards had an accident what kind of accident inquired margaret is he killed asked hester no not killed he was found insensible in the road the miller's boy observed his horse without a rider plunge into the river below the dam and swim across and another person saw the pony sydney had been riding grazing with a side saddle on on the common this made them search and they found mr hope lying in the road insensible as i told you what is thought of his state asked margaret two medical men were called immediately from the nearest places and mr gray saw them last night for the news reached us while you were at the piano and we thought yes but what do the medical men say they do not speak very favorably it is a concussion of the brain they declare the case is not hopeless and that is all they can say he has not spoken yet only just opened his eyes but we are assured the case is not quite desperate so we must hope for the best i am glad the case is not desperate said hester he would be a great loss to you all mrs gray looked at her in amazement and then at margaret margaret's eyes were full of tears she comprehended and respected the effort her sister was making oh mrs gray said margaret must we go to-day surely it is no time for an excursion of pleasure that must be as you feel disposed my dears it would annoy mrs rowland very much to have the party broken up so much so that some of us must go but my young people will do their best to fill your places if you feel yourselves unequal to the exertion she looked at hester as she spoke oh if anybody goes we go of course said hester i think you are quite right in supposing that the business of the day must proceed if there was anything to be done by staying at home if you could make us of any use mrs gray it would be a different thing but well if there is nothing in your feelings which if you believe yourselves equal to the exertion margaret now interposed one had rather stay at home and be quiet when one is anxious about one's friends but other people must be considered as we seem to be agreed mr and mrs rowland and all the children so we will proceed with our dressing mrs gray but can you tell us before you go how soon how soon we shall know 
when this case will probably be decided. It might be a few hours, or it might be many days, Mrs. Gray said. She should stay at home today, in case of anything being sent for from the farmhouse where Mr. Hope was lying. He was well attended, in the hands of good nurses, former patients of his own, but something might be wanted, and orders had been left by Mr. Gray, that application should be made to his house for whatever could be of service, so Mrs. Gray could not think of leaving home. Mr. Gray would make inquiry at the farmhouse as the party went by to the woods, and he would just turn his horse back in the middle of the day to inquire again, and thus the Rowlands party would know more of Mr. Hope's state than those who remained at home. Having explained, Mrs. Gray quitted the room, somewhat disappointed that Hester had received the disclosure so well. The moment the door was closed, Hester sank forward on the bed, her face hidden, but her trembling betraying her emotion. End of Part 1 of Chapter 10 Recording by Rosie